All right, thank you for listening to this podcast. This episode of Literally is sponsored by Lexicon and Line. Case, tell us a little something about Lexicon and Line. Uh, Lexicon and Line it does three things. They, they are communications consultants. They teach professional business writing and speaking courses, and they are research and data evaluation experts. And you can find everything about Lexicon Online at lexicononline.com. Please give them a visit. And thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast, Lexicon Online. This is Case Johnston. This is the Literally Podcast. Today we're, uh, we are broadcasting in the Monarch from Banyan 1 on Historic 25th Street in Ogden, Utah. Today our, our guest is Michael Kasdan, and I have his bio right here. Um, Michael Kazan is currently director of special projects for the Good Man Project, where I met him. Um, he has held a number of leadership roles at the Good Man Project over time, including senior sports editor, lead editor, and executive editor. He's the father of two who lives in Maplewood, New Jersey. Mike's day job is intellectual property lawyer, but is his interests and, a and avocations are numerous. Mike is passionate about education, entrepreneurship, and technology, and has served as a board member and advisor on strategic and legal issues to startup for startup for-profit and nonprofit companies throughout his career. In the rest of his ever-shrinking spare time, he enjoys focusing his energies on projects and causes that impact the world and our society. Uh, he has spoken on a variety of issues in major media networks, including CNN, uh, Al Jazeera. NPR, the Canadian Broadcast Company, and his writings have appeared in the HuffPost, Salon, Yahoo Parenting, The Daily Dot, and Red Book. Uh, he enjoys playing basketball, biking, fumbling around on the guitar, and on and on and off again relationship with running, which we need to talk about. Uh, Mike spends <laughs> entirely too much time on Facebook and can be found oversharing and linking on Twitter at Michael Kasdan. All right, so um, I have a couple questions, and one starts anecdotally. You know me, I like to tell stories. Um, sure. And first off, I, I mean, this is the first time Mike and I have ever talked face to face, but we've gone back and forth with uh, my articles now for probably eight years, uh, something like that. Michael was one of the first people who uh, uh, published my kind of op-eds, opinion pieces, and he did that in the, the Good Man Project, who have always treated me really well. Um, so if you're a writer and you have something to say that pushes the dialogue forward, um, and this is just my interpretation. Michael can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. That that pushes the dialogue forward to kind of push away from the decade, century long toxic masculinity, uh, or the way in which men are viewed in this world, or the way in which which men navigate this world. Um, the Good Men Project is a good place to send your work um, if you are if you feel as if you have something to say that that pushes against that kind of old school toxic masculinity, that old school kind of um, misogynistic voice of, of really, really of the patriarchy. And that, I mean, if that, that, that's the way I, that's the way I see it, Mike, you can, you can correct me and, or explain it even more and better, but that's how sure. we met. Um, and uh, I love working with them. Uh, uh, they, they published me in 2011 and then a few times after that. And then recently I'd gone through a stretch of from 2018 and until 2020 where I hadn't published anything. And, um, I was kind of feeling that what, what am I writing for? What am I doing? Am I after, you know, more than 15 years of this, what am I doing? And, and I reached out to Mike and sent him some pieces and, um, he was extremely giving with them. Um, and, uh, those two pieces that I sent earlier this year that were published earlier this year um, really gave me kind of that confidence that writers need every once in a while to say, okay, you have a voice and it means something. Um, and since then I've gone on to have nine 
pieces accepted. Today, my, my collection of essays, two of which have gone to the Goodman Project, three of which have been in the Goodman Project, uh, has made a f was the finalist for the Autumn House Press Awards. I got that email today, but we can't publicize it until they come out with the winner. So I just want nice. to say that's my thank you to you, Michael. Um, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so wait, Michael saved case yeah kind of yeah. he really did he said you know case case <laughs> case actually has something to say um and you know and that's a really nice thing that's the i nice didn't thing. even know it no right i know i know but now you do you're just always case with something interesting and important <laughs> to say and you came back and i was like let's do it again well hey i even feel better with that compliment um so i was driving in just right now and, and our big sports radio um commentators it's called the big show um, one is it. One of it is um, from what's the guy's name who writes for the Trib, Brandon? Um, Gordon Monson. Gordon Monson is he's been writing for the Trib for thirty years. He covers everything, but he's he's he, really good. He's really good, but he's not scared to move away from just sports and move into politics, move into yep. culture. And it's rare, like listening to that radio show over the last ten years. I have never heard them talk about politics. They do a really good job of just talking about sports. Yeah. Uh, but within the 10 minutes that I moved from my house down here to Banyan, he pushed He was, he was pushing the envelope for, for the first time I've ever heard him push it with his co-host. And he, and he was, yeah. And he said basically this, he said, as I'm sure you've heard today that the PAC 12 just canceled the season. Right. I did hear that. Yeah. Yep. PAC 10 and, Pack ten and twelve, and then the big, big ten, ten canceled yeah, fall. Yeah, they canceled the fall. And he said, really openly, said, "Does this or does this not reflect um, our national or our federal response to the COVID nineteen? Um, in the sense that the NCAA could have come down with something a lot faster, a lot easier, and we might even have a season if they did starting in March." Um, yep. And his co-host. Did not want to answer that question. He didn't want to. Mm -hmm. He did not want to link things to the White House or to states or anything. He just said, "Well, you know, I think that the the, the college teams could have done something, and I think they should still play." Um, but he wouldn't go. And Monson is Monson's a legend. Brandon, can, I mean, he's been writing for sports, and he was. I think he's almost kind of fed up with not being able to bridge that gap between sports and politics. Now that's probably yeah. the longest intro I've ever done on this show. Um, <laughs> but, but what do you think, like if you were to look at that and, and I mean, from the perspective of sports writers, cause what you do all the time is link sports and politics and sports and culture and, and yeah. sports and manhood and masculinity. What do you think the fear of maybe in these local radio shows to make that cross cultural discussion more tangible yeah i mean it's a great question and uh i think it's one that we're seeing confronted a little bit more now than maybe it used to be uh maybe not enough in my view um but but you're right i mean what i've come to write about at the goodman project developed over time um isn't so much like what espn might write about a baseball game or a sporting event uh, although when cool stuff happens on the field and there's some cool moments, uh, you know, I like to cover that. Um, but it's really, you know, using sports to talk about some of the bigger issues. And I can talk about how I got into that. But the sports and politics aspect to me, um, I think there's kind of a, a long history. And, and I think it breaks down a few different ways. 
um, I think there's a pretty large group of people um, that see sports just as an escape and they don't want to hear about anything else. Um, and they don't want to hear that, you know, this athlete is a, you know, you know, had a domestic violence situation. They just want to, you know, have that guy block for your running back and score touchdowns and leave me alone when I'm in my little four hours that I'm watching football, for example. Um, and I think that's a pretty, um, you know, privileged, to put it lightly, position to be in. Um, so I think there, there, there has historically kind of been that, that, that group. I think it's a pretty large group of American sportsmen that sees sports as kind of this, this safe haven. Um, and it's, and it's kind of interesting because when you think about sports and, you know, you mentioned that one of the things we do at the Goodman Practice is writing about, um, you know, quote unquote, modern masculinity. Um, and, you know, you use, you use the term toxic masculinity. Some people don't really like that term because they feel like we're, um, you know, bad mouthing masculinity and saying it's toxic. But, you know, the difference between kind of the kind of old school patriarchy kind of men can only be one way and you have to be really strong and competitive and you have to get the girl and you have to drink and you're otherwise you're isolated and do it yourself kind of cowboy. Um, I think sports has always been a place where men can actually be more emotional with their guy friends. It is like one of the areas that's always been a safe haven. You know, you can go to a Raiders game and dress up in a costume. You can, you know, you can hug each other when something good happens. So I think it's always seen as a safe haven. And then I also think that just politically speaking, um, you know, people don't like to hear views that are engaged in views that are opposed to them. And that's just a way that's been, it's been used to shut, shut people down. I think we saw it in sports this year, um, you know, Ann Coulter, who's, you know, kind of famous for, for, for being very right wing and, 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 and very kind of nasty. Um, you know, she, when LeBron James said something you know, Black Live, about Black Lives Matter, you know, she said, well, you know, stick to basketball, shut up and dribble. It's the way of kind of quieting, uh, you know, a voice that you might not want to hear. But then when Drew Brees was, you know, out there, you know, talking about, you know, maybe why he didn't want to kneel and because he felt there was a military aspect, you know, she was out there covering that saying, hey, you know, just because he's an athlete, you know, you should listen to it. So I think a lot of, a lot of times it kind of, come, it's kind of disingenuous, disingenuous to shut those conversations down and kind of comes from just, you know, either you like what you're hearing, you want to talk about it, or you don't like what you're hearing, you kind of want to shut it down. Yeah, it's it's really, I, I picking up on what you were saying, like, I, I'd never thought about that before, about where sports, that is a place where men have been able to show emotion. You know, it's a place where men have, you know, where they get upset, where they, they hug each other, where they are close together in, in the same room and kind of sharing yep. the exact same emotion at the same time because of something that happens on the field or that happens in TV. And then when that game is over in the past, that emotion is shut down or it's shifted somewhere else. Um, I'd never, but I had, had never thought about it from that point of view. Um, and I, and I think, you know, and I wonder too, I, do you see this in, on the East coast with, with, um, local radio sportscasters or local radio commentators, or do you think it is more a, a West coast middle of the country kind of fear of talking about it? No, I mean, I think, I think we see it on the East coast too. Um, you know, one of the biggest, I mean, I don't know, to me, I grew up in New Jersey, uh, just outside of New York city. Uh, you know, WFAN was kind of what I listened to growing up, sports radio. 
um, very iconic set of radio voices that have been doing it for a long, long time. Um, I think part of it is also kind of that old school, new school disconnect. I think we see it with like baseball broadcast teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a very old traditional kind of way of doing things and things that we talk about and things that we don't talk about. And I think we see the same thing uh, in New York radio. I mean, I think there are people that will engage. Um, I think there's a pretty short list of those. Yeah. Um, there are some good ones though. Uh, like the Michael K show out here. Uh, one of the guys who's on at Rosenberg, like he's great. I love listening to him talk about those issues. Cause I think, you know, sports is an area that it's a good access point into these types of issues. Um, and so I think the folks that do talk about it, um, you know, some of them I really respect, but, but yeah, there are a number of people that, that don't, and they're very kind of old school and very, you know, push that to the side and we don't want to talk about that. Let's, let's stick on the field. Let's stick to sports. Yeah. It's and becoming I, harder, though, I think what's that? I think it's becoming harder, especially with yeah. as much yeah. social activism as you're seeing now. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, and I get it too. I mean, you know, I, I get it. I mean, the Utah jazz for me, it's, I want to escape. I do. I mean, they were gone for four and a half months and I have been tied to every, I watched every scrimmage. I watched when they played, yeah. they played the Spurs the other day and they didn't even put any of their starters on the, on the court. And I was, I was ready, you know, I'm ready for awesome. the, I know. And it was all, I enjoyed every second of it. Um, and I'm ready for the playoffs. And it's, and it, yeah. I think the difference is, is that when they are playing, I am able to say this can still be my escape. You know, I mean, on, on the court, I don't, you know, I mean, when they're playing, this can still be my escape, but I, I can compartmentalize and say, yes, but there are, there are larger issues off the court that they're speaking about. Um, and I, and I, I think I group on the court versus off the court, off the court, I think is a larger cultural kind of discussion that we're having, you know, and the athletes are involved because they are on the level of movie stars, of politicians. Right. Right. They're, they're influencers. They're influencers. Yeah. And more than they were 10 years, 15 years ago, you know, I mean, our, I mean, everything is grown this way with, inf- with Twitter and with Instagram. And, you know, we could have had all these things happen. I mean, if you look at, you know, Jack, uh, Jackie Robinson playing today, if we were going through that, if we went, Jackie Robinson went through this, Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali with, yeah. with Twitter and Instagram. Oh my and God. Fact, I mean, <laughs> what would the, what would our world look like from there? Muhammad Ali would have blown, would have blown the world up. You know, I mean, in a way that he, um, if yeah, he would have um, had a voice, I mean, he had that voice. I mean, think if he had that voice on Twitter, I know, right? right? I mean, if he had that voice on Facebook or everything he said got reported on cable news network. I mean, um, yeah. so, I mean, I, but I think in my mind, I separate them. I say it's all together. It's all this cultural, po- but when I sit down to watch the game, I get to watch some basketball and that's a great yes. thing. Um, I think a lot of people can't do that, obviously. Um, but I, but I, I was wondering if it was more of the Western, more rural type of commentators, but, um, yeah, no, it, it's a good question. And, uh, but you know, on, on what you were just talking about with, which is, you know, how things have changed. I think some of it is, a lot of it is right. is social media driven, uh, you know, before the platform that I had, even if they were famous was very different, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of being able to reach people, um, as, as easily. So social media and that rise is a big part of it, but, I also think it's not an accident that, you know, over time we're seeing players, um, you know, gain more power. If you look over like a long period in sports, um, whereas, you know, like becoming free agents, getting bigger money contracts, like, you know, the contract that Patrick Mahomes just signed oh, for yeah. half a billion dollars, um, 
you know, that's, you know, and, and people talking or, or Mike Trout and people talking about, you know, next is, you know, owning a percentage of the team or something or wherever it goes next, that shift from, hey, these are just people who we own and they play the sport for us mm-hmm. to these are the people that are recognized uh, in terms of creating the value and compensating for that. So, hey, what they think about as influencers matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that all kind of contributes to that shift that we're seeing. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point because I guess, you know, I mean, when Mark Cuban says things as an owner of a basketball team, um, nobody ever says shut up and just own, right? I mean, <laughs> and it's because he's got a voice in Shark Tank and he's got a voice in in, in money and he's written and he's wealthy. And if a play, there was a, who just bought, somebody just bought, what player was part of a recent uh, big time purchase? Who was it? Was it, uh, was it was it J Lo's boyfriend husband? Oh yeah, A Rod's talking about buying yeah. buying part of buying the Mets. Notice yeah. I just refer to him as J Lo. Well, that's yeah. the way you should. I like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, but actually, no. Patrick Mahomes Patrick, just bought a piece of the uh, Kansas City Royals. Yeah, just about yeah. And so that again, it's like it moves, it shifts the dialogue from oh, now do you say to Patrick Mahomes, you know, shut up and just own a major league franchise, and and that, it it shows the hypocrisy of it really. You know, yeah. um, now he's one of the wealthiest people probably in the country. And it does that money. Uh, well, up until this point, obviously, because LeBron was so rich, the, the money didn't make a difference to people like Coulter or, or like Brandon said, Laura Ingram. Um, right. Um, but now that they're owners and like you say, they're influential in a different way, creating content. Um, is somebody going to say shut up and just own? Because they would have never said that to, I mean, to the Cuban. Or if they did, he wouldn't care or wouldn't make news. Um, Correct. Um, so that's a really that's a really interesting dynamic that to, to to think about moving forward into what's happening, and I think honestly, like even more than, and I think that the, the social justice issues and I think Black Lives Matters issues have really made these things made sports and politics very very entangled. But I think COVID more than anything has, um, in the sense that uh, it brought you know it. it there's no way of escaping. You cannot, you cannot, um, compartmentalize COVID from sports or daily life yeah. or politics or anything like that. Um, and people have to make major decisions everywhere. Um, and COVID's the one probably tying them all together in a way we've never seen it before. I mean, yeah, no, it is pretty remarkable. And, and, you know, I do remember when this was first starting back, you know, at least for me in March when I first started paying attention to it and some big things got canceled and the NBA stopped, right? Mm-hmm. Tom mm-hmm. Hanks tested positive that mm-hmm. one day. Um, and for me, like a couple of work travel things got canceled and I was like, oh, this is a thing that's going to affect my life. Um, but, you know, I remember some some real forward thinkers uh, and writers at that time, you know, already coming out with those pieces that are saying, this is going to change everything. Mm-hmm. We're never going back. And I was like, well, I mean, it's, you know, really? Um, but, but it has pretty, it's been really interesting, the impact. I think it has really impacted on like this current Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. social justice movement. The fact that everyone was home yeah. and that there was no sort of bread and circus of sports. And I think it really, um, fueled that fire. And I don't know that it would have happened uh, in the yeah. same way or the same force uh, if, if we weren't in that situation. And I think you make a great point about, you know, the intertwining of things because, you know, it's all well and good. We can say, well, leave us alone. We just want to play our sports. 
to, you know, what you let into, which is, well, you know, in America, we don't get to have nice things because our political leadership bungled the COVID response so badly that now we don't get to have college football. Um, whereas, you know, New Zealand is now starting its rugby season um, because, you know, politically they handled it differently. Uh, it, it mixes it and intertwines it in a way uh, that's kind of inextricable. And I mean, but I think sports, you know, has always been kind of political. If you think about the Olympics, I mean, it was sad to me to read, like I read today that, you know, with, with, with Trump tweeting about playing college football, you know, there was a paragraph in a Washington Post article that caught my eye that said, you know, Trump and his, and his advisors, you know, the college football season and whether they play or not, you know, was really important to, to him to show that, you know, his response was adequate. And I was like, I mean, why don't you just focus instead on actually like making a plan? But it just shows that, you know, both sides, you know, the politics is always going to be there. And I think it's just really sharply in focus now. Yeah, it did. It, it is. And I think, you know, um, I think college football, I think football is different. You know, I do. I think nobody's getting up upset that the girls cross country team is not going out and taking and running this, this fall, you know, and yeah. I, I mean, I am of course, but you know, but, but nobody's really talking about that. Um, yeah. and well, there's a lot of money and power there, right? Right. There's a lot yeah. of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and it is, you know, I think football, sadly that, well, I mean, I think football has become America's pastime and we do, it is what we care most about when it comes to sports. And, um, and to see that that season, basically the season, I mean, I don't know what the NFL is going to do. I haven't seen that recently. Uh, yeah. but, uh, to see that season go away, I think that's largely impactful on our, yeah. on us as a country to see football go away. And it, is. Think- it has a real big cultural impact more so than you have to wear a mask when you go to target. You know, to that, to that mm-hmm. people can push back on when they, when you say now this entire thing can't happen, mm-hmm. that does have a big impact, you know, and it does impacts a lot of people. Yeah, it, it does. And it, it's, I think it's probably the biggest thing that's, if the NFL goes, that's going to be crazy. Um, yeah. it's going to be the biggest, I think college football's going away is the biggest thing that we've had to cancel. I think NBA people cared, but I don't think they cared nearly as much. Uh, baseball, the same way, um, hockey, they're doing what they want to do. Um, and but I think with college football going down and then if the NFL goes down culturally, we, I think that may be one of, and this is crazy may be one of the bigger things we look back on 30 years from now and say, you know, this, this canceled football. And, and that's a really weird yeah. thing to say. Well, of course, with all, with all the deaths and everybody and people getting sick and, um, and we're in a, an election year. Uh, but you know, people will say that that's, that's the, I mean, the crazily enough, we remember the strike years for baseball and remember for football and, and people yeah. remember those more than election years many times. No, absolutely. And, you know, I think it, it, it's actually really interesting because it comes back to, you know, the way I like to write about sports and, and, and the way you've written on sports and a couple articles, you know, like we talked about at the top, you know, marrying together kind of larger cultural issues. Um, you know, it is interesting because sports does have that power. Uh, you know, football going, going away does have that cultural currency because, Right. Like they said in that in that book and movie about CTE, right? Like, like they own a day of the week, like more so than the church does. Um, so uh, it does have cultural power. And I think by paying attention to the stories that are coming out of all those sports and talking about them, um, you know, you really can cover a lot of ground. Yeah. I think a lot of people yeah, are scared to. 
um, you know, but you know, that's that's how it goes. Uh, I'm thinking yeah. about this too. What if it was the flip side? What if we were like New Zealand, and we could say, we're we're gonna have college football because we got this under control. That would be a rallying cry for the country. Oh my god! You know, um, yeah. to say we got college football. You know, already and because I like college football a lot more than pros, but. Uh, we got yeah. college football. We could be we could be saying we did something really really right, and now we're people are that now now it's we're in the opposite side of this, so. Yeah, that no, was great power. It yeah. really does. Yeah, I and mean, I think it's it's huge. Um, um, yeah, what, and what, I think I think it marries together like the cultural power of having just this huge fan base and what people think about when they think about their own alma maters or people they root for, especially you know the, of course the big programs. Um, but then just also the money involved, like for some of these schools, mm -hmm. you know, football makes it all go. Uh, and if you look at that map of, you know, the highest paid state officials in every state in the, in the country, it's in many, many, many states, it's the head football coach. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just kind of this huge marriage of cultural power and actual financial power. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and to make it a little more personal, you know, it always happens on my years because we, we were state <laughs> football this year. It's a small, you know, uh, division one. Well, that's FCS. They're ranked second in the country. They're supposed to go and win, you know, and we don't get a football season, you know, and I think it's probably, you know, no, just kidding. Uh, but, you know, I feel that way a little bit. Uh, the Jazz had a great run. Boyan Bogdanovich had to have wrist surgery. You know, I don't know. Anyways, um, switching over to, though, there's there are lines right now in Vegas seeing if the if, if the NBA can make it through the bubble um, to the championship um, what do you think do you think they can and yeah. what have they in your in, in your perspective what have they done right that hockey's done really well too but um, what have they done yeah. right and what benefits do you think that the NBA has to be able to to do it yeah I mean I I mean I'm not uh, I'm not, not Nostradamus or, or, or any mm -hmm. public health so I bring nothing to this other than a sports fan's opinion, but I mean, it seems like by having that bubble um, and really, really locking it down, um, they've really been able to contain it in a way that if you look at, you know, the other sport that's very in our face now, um, I mean, of course, football involves so many people and travel, and, um, but, you know, baseball, the stuff we're seeing at baseball uh, and, and some of the missteps you know, where the Marlins kind of, where they had those four positive cases and two doctors say don't play. And they ask kind of the senior veteran shortstop and he's like, let's play, um, you know, and then they all play and it seems like there's no actual leadership and that's not <laughs> yeah. really the best kind of way to make decisions about important matters of public health. Um, you know, and, and so just, I think being in uh, a, a bubble like, like the NBA has been able to do um, and, and, you know, hockey has been able to sort of replicate that um I, I think that's kind of the only way that that, that it's really possible because otherwise it's just yeah. it's just too hard all the travel and um you know like like my son is going to college next week supposed to go on monday starting at syracuse um and you know they're, they're trying to create their own little bubble but they've also got like thousands of people coming in from all these different states um it becomes so hard to manage so i mean i hope the nba can make it i think that you know being in, the, being in the middle of their season and towards the end and being able to kind of shrink the number of teams, be in a self-contained place. Um, and, you know, as the playoffs start, it's going to just shrink and shrink and shrink. Um, so I think their odds kind of get better as they go longer. 
Um, I think that that gives it kind of distinct advantages over the other sports. I mean, I thought the NFL was going to get super lucky uh, because, you know, they weren't in season when all this stuff went down. Yeah. It seemed like seemed like it was far enough away. Um, but now it seems that may have been a bit optimistic. I felt the same way. I thought football was going to be okay. You know, I really, I hoped with everything. Yeah, I was like, made. wow, they're so lucky. I know, me too. <laughs> I, I hoped because I love college football. Um, yeah. And with baseball, I mean, yeah, I mean, they would have to do what basketball did and everybody go to one place and play in the same field. But I don't know logistically if they could do that because of how many games a day do they typically have in a baseball Yeah, season. it's just too hard. It's too hard. Yeah. And uh, I mean, and I love baseball. I've been so you know, as a sports fan, just so happy that baseball's back mm-hmm. and uh, just to have, you know, those storylines and something to watch. Um, so I'd be very, very sad if, if it were to go away. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I like, I, I'm watching baseball these days on, on, you know, I mean, as you know, I spent a year in the minor leagues working for a baseball team and uh, yeah. I, I love being at the games and I love being in the press box. Uh, but I really wanted to be able to be in the stands with my wife with a beer. Like Brandon's got a Pabst over there, and I'm a little bit jealous. Nice. But uh, my, my my wife said we're we're not drinking for a month. I didn't do that on purpose. By I know, the way. I know. I forgot that you <laughs> said that. And I was like, well, I'm starting because yeah. it's three thirty somewhere. Uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, my wife said we're gonna take a month off, so I'm taking a month off. Um, nice. Yeah, one of those kind of resets after during this whole this whole COVID thing. It's been crazy. Good idea. Um. So I mean, those are that's really most most of my questions. Um, I had another one too as an editor. For, yeah. um, so when you're looking at stuff that comes across your desk, because you have to make decisions on what gets published and what doesn't. Yeah. What are the things? So if somebody is writing about sports or writing about politics or writing about um, in all the other different areas that you do cover, what is what is? Because uh, I I hope that I I let my students listen to this. I put this in um, any class that I teach. I I share my podcasts. Um, cool. What uh, what is it for young writers, budding writers, that gives you as an editor, what makes you nod a yes or what makes you nod well a maybe or what makes you nod well this no? Um, sure. Maybe um, outside of just grammar and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, no, of course. The grammar you can always work with. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think to, to me, and, and, and I, you know, I started, um, you know, writing about sports. I kind of just fell into that job. I was um, – coaching little league and playing 35 year old white man pickup mm-hmm. basketball. Mm-hmm. I had a couple of stories I wanted to tell and I wrote a couple of sports pieces. Um, but you know, now over the past many years, you know, we've kind of covered all these different topics uh, across the spectrum of, you know, when you talk about modern masculinity, it's, it's relationships, it's mental health, it's, um, it's families, it's politics, it's sexism and racism. And, and uh, so, so, there's so many issues. And I think across all those issues, um, I think that, you know, storytelling um, and to, to have kind of, uh, um, you know, when you read something, uh, I, I think the best way to, to change make and to make an impact um, is to be able to tell a good story, um, something that's, that's relatable. Um, so, so I always look to see if there's a good, good hook. Um, you know, it's, it's also, it's easy to recognize, you know, good writing. Some people, you know, come in and it's really uh, great the first time around. Um, and you're just like, this is just great writing and great storytelling, the way it's put together, you know, it generates kind of, uh, it has a good kind of flow to it. Um, you know, other times it's just kind of a kernel of a good idea. Uh, like this is just a cool take. This is a neat angle. This is something 
that we want to, this is an issue that we think is important. Um, and you have kind of the kernel of a good idea and, you know, the writing and how it's kind of put together needs a little bit of work. And, you know, I'm happy to do that because that's, that's fun. If it's a good idea. Um, so I think, you know, that's kind of an all over the place answer, but, but I think, uh, you know, sometimes it's like, that's a really cool idea and we can develop the rest. And sometimes it's more, this is just great storytelling and needs a little bit of work. That's good. Yeah. It's good to hear. That's yeah. Let's um, let's embarrass case a little bit. What, what did you enjoy about cases submissions? Well, case. So, so we've, we've done, uh, commas. commas. So I think so many years ago, um, so you did that. Why we run submission. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a series, um, that, that I conceived of years ago that was just asking people the simple question why they run. Uh, and it was really more a way of getting at people's stories. Um, and people, I mean, there's all sorts of really intimate, awesome submissions that we had. Um, and I think, I think case your, I think yours was, was, I, I remember it, wasn't it like a running group that yeah. you had in mm-hmm. Utah? Um, it kind of stuck with me. Um, uh, so, so I thought that was a really cool piece. Um, Look, I mean, Case invited me on his podcast, and, and so I mean, I, I don't. I would like to say nice things about him, but I don't have to. But I, I think, <laughs> I think Case is no. Case's writing to me is is you know, good angle, an issue I want to talk about, and and it's just it's just well written and good, well crafted. So uh, I don't know if that accomplishes the embarrassed Case goal. It um, did, but yeah, I love the while we run stuff, and uh, you know, the stuff about the jazz. Um, you know, I just think it's. Uh, you know, it's cool because it's, it's, you know, we're all, you know, tribal about something and, you know, you kind of see yourself in the way, you know, I mean, I'm sadder cause I'm a Knicks fan, but you see <laughs> reflections of yourself and kind of the craziness that people love their team, but also the ability to kind of pull up a level and say, let's talk about this bigger issue also. So I've, I've enjoyed working together. Yeah. I, I've enjoyed it. Thanks Brandon. I really yeah. appreciate no, that. I tried. I like, <laughs> I like cases, uh, self-deprecation and humor. I think it comes across well. And, Definitely. Uh, yeah, it's good. Well, when you live my life, it's easy to, easy. <laughs> it's easy to self-deprecate. Hard you know? to brag. Huh? Where I, you know, I always do, I'm always doing something stupid to, to be a hook for a story. That's for sure. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, it, it was a piece about why we run. It was about the Ogden Pub Runners who are currently on hiatus, right. and who I'm, st- which I never. Th- now we are a nonprofit. We um, have lots of roots in the nice. Ogden area. Um, we do things socially and locally, and volunteerism and everything. And I've got a lot of pushback right now because we are not running again. Um, but, but you know, it comes down to a couple things. One of them, I don't want to be the guy in charge who one evening brings 70 people to a bar and that gets yeah. out on Facebook and Instagram and these and it shows like, Oh, they obviously don't care about what's going on here. Um, yeah. so I've had a lot of kickback on that about yeah, why are we not? Tough, Cause those are our social outlets, right? right? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard. It's huge for me, huge for me. I've been doing it for nine years now and, wow. um, we've gotten huge. I would say our, our average, we probably see 400 different runners every year and average, That's awesome. in the, in the spring, in the summer, in the fall, we probably average, 40 to 70 a night. Um, and it's great, but you know, again, if we came back and we all have to sit at different tables, first off, I don't want to, I don't want to overrun our, our local businesses who are doing their best to keep their doors open. You know, that's the thing we show up with 70 people see that they're, 
that the health department sees that 70 people are there, they could shut them down. You know, if they let us yeah, in, if there's not, other folks, we're not there yet. Nope. I'm not, <laughs> we're I just not there yet. I don't want to put these local establishments in at risk either at, or anybody else. Yeah. And people have told me, well, we can, we can fudge it. We can do this and this. I'm like, I'm not in the business of fudging it either. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I believe, but, in, you know, you know, I believe in the health standards here. So we're going to follow yeah. the rules. But I mean, COVID aside, it's a pretty awesome thing to have yeah. built. And I think it, you know, it speaks to kind of like, you know, we're social creatures and, and, you know, running or sports is kind of one aspect, but we're also just hanging out and, and, uh, you know, participating in each other's lives. And like, I remember my, uh, uh, my ex-brother-in-law, um, good guy, he was a big rollerblader. And, and when we lived in Philadelphia, he had this group that he would rollerblade with, you know, through kind of through the streets of Philadelphia, down the art museum, you know, 40, 50 people. Um, it was just this huge social outlet. And, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's pick up basketball with, you know, the 10, 15 guys that you know, and, yep. uh, you know, the smack talk and then catching up on life that goes around with it. That's, uh, that's the grease that makes it all go. That's true. And even though, you know, I'm on the very kind of like, um, I'm on the very, very, what's what, what, what word am I? I'm on the very conservative side of COVID is, is in the sense that I think we need to be as cautious as absolutely possible. We need to have the masks. We need to do all. Yeah. I'm on that side, but at the same time, I'm sick of it. You know, I'm real. I want that running group back. I want, I want all these things. Um, you know, and so, I mean, that's, that's the, the longer it goes, the longer we have to deal with our own kind of, you know, um, struggles with not having our social groups and, and that's going to weigh on us. Um, and so I wish that, you know, I, I wish our president was true and I wish it would just disappear, but I don't think that's, that's going to happen. Um, so, you know, it's, it is hard. I miss that stuff, even though I, like I said, I'm, I'm on the side of, we need to be as cautious and yeah and listen to the science as much as possible i'm still like i'm at home all the time you know so it's hard yeah, that's, that's just being human right yeah. i mean mm -hmm. zoom's great and everything but like you know we're, we're social creatures it's kind of that's how we're built yeah it's true well great i mean thanks for ch chatting with us um uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, this is uh, Case Johnston. This is the Literally Podcast. Today we had a Michael Kasdan on, who's a writer, editor, and a lawyer. And I mean, how did you make that kind of transition uh, from the day <laughs> job of law to doing all this other social, well, I mean, you know, social causes with writing and with the editing? Where did that come about? Yeah, just like mostly randomly, like mm -hmm. most things in life, I guess. I uh, just met, met folks through the Good Men Project, through Friends of Friends, and uh, like I said, I, I was coaching the league and, and doing some sports stuff. I had a couple of sports stories inside me and they're like, Oh yeah, come aboard. It'll be an easy lift. And we have two other people doing sports. And then a month later, those two people moved on and I was the senior <laughs> sports editor and away we go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things I always tell my son, you know, it, it never hurts to say yes, you know, cause you never know where that, that one yes is going to take you. Um, yeah, there. Yeah. So that's one of the lessons I like to tell him. Um, well, thanks. So, thanks so much for joining us. It's good, great to see your face. It's great to talk in person, kind of, you know, um, and um, you're welcome to join us any other time. Right, Brandon? Yeah, anytime. Anytime. So, so. Rock on. All right. That'd be great. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah. And uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. Cheers. <laughs>